Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here for Fireside Chat number 311. Mr. Tubbs won't stay in his bed, but he is here. So I don't know if you, ah, you're catching him. So this is our new guy. You have not seen him much. The, the famous and great Otto is mm, in doggy heaven, as you well know. Welcome to the Fireside Chat. I talk to you about what is on my mind, then I take your questions, and it's a unique half hour each week, which has come to play a, a role in a lot of people's lives. I'm very happy to hear. I know this from the people who stopped me at airports and mentioned the Fireside Chat. So I'd like to talk to you about a couple of lines that are offered by quite a number of people at this time with the Gaza-Israel war taking place. So one of them needs to be addressed in particular, and then I probably will address a second that you hear a lot, but this one in particular, something to the effect, and I, in my column this week, I actually cite the sources of people saying it, and it goes something like, well, you know, Palestinian children are as precious as Israeli children or babies. Sometimes they do babies, sometimes they do children. So I think about, I always think about what people say. Now, is there anybody in the West, is there any pro-Israel supporter? Is there any Israeli? I mean, I'm like, there are kooks everywhere, but is there any normal Israeli, typical Israeli, who would ever say that's not the case? Who is it being directed at when people say, well, you know, Palestinian children are as precious as Israeli children? This is a very important subject to address because it seems to be making an important point, but in fact, it's, it's either making an obvious point that nobody really needs to hear, since there, there is no movement in Israel to deny that Palestinian children are precious. It, it, it doesn't exist. Do you know, for example, and I cited in my column, how many Arab children, Palestinian children from the West Bank and from Gaza are treated in Israeli hospitals? Hundreds have been treated in Israeli hospitals, and I presume often for free because they don't have the money with which to pay the hospital. This is normative. No Israeli blinks about this. Of course, we're going to treat Palestinian kids in our hospitals. Kid has cancer, you bring him, bring him to this ward, and that's expensive treatment. But it doesn't even occur to an Israeli to think, well, that's a Palestinian kid. We're not going to treat that kid with cancer. It doesn't occur in Israel. It is, it is a given that all children are precious in Israel. So the, the people who make that point are almost always anti-Israel or pro-Palestinian, which basically is the same thing. And they, they're making it as if Israelis and their supporters need to hear that. Oh, gee, we didn't know that. Thank you for telling us that Palestinian children are as precious as Israeli children. As if, as if we didn't know 
That's why they're treated in Israelis' hospitals. That's why Israel, probably unique, I don't know, in, in modern, maybe in, in all of history, do you know that it, the, when Israel has attacked Gaza after, after being attacked, they only attack after being attacked. They have actually let Palestinians, Gazans know where they will attack so that they can evacuate that building. And that kills the element of surprise for Israel. But they still, they drop leaflets. They, they actually text Gazans by, on their phones, please evacuate your building. We, we are going to attack it. That's why you should watch our video at PragerU. Richard Kemp, I believe brig a brigadier general in the British Army, who was the head of all British troops in Afghanistan, he gives, a, he gives this presentation at PragerU that Israel is the most moral army in the world. And this is a, a member of the British Army, a, a high-ranking member. So that's quite a statement to say that another army is the most moral in the world. There's something truly almost obscene about, about having to say that as if the supporters of Israel and the Israelis don't know that, that all children are precious. So that's number one. When, when people are making that point, it's an attack. It's an implied or an implicit attack on Israel. Gee, we want you to know that Palestinian children are also precious. Oh, thank you for telling us. We're the ones who treat them in our hospitals. The people who need to hear that all children are precious are the monsters of Hamas, the Nazis who are Hamas. They are Nazis. I've never used that term to describe anyone in my public life, but they are indistinguishable from Nazis. The Nazis wanted to eradicate all the Jews of Europe. Hamas and Hezbollah want to eradicate all the Jews of Israel. And it's almost the same number, ironically. The people who need, need to hear this are the, are the Palestinians, especially Hamas and Hezbollah, not the Jews, right? Say whatever you like about Israel. Is, Israelis don't need to hear, don't need to be taught that all children are precious. It's, it's the, the horrible Hezbollah and Hamas who needs to hear that because they don't believe it. They don't. I did find out from an eyewitness who saw this. I, 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 I interviewed an Israeli soldier who went into the border kibbutz, communal places where some Israelis live, and he saw people who were burned alive, families burned alive. You think the Israelis would do such a thing? This notion that they, they both need to learn the same lessons or that they're moral equivalents. I've seen this all of my life, this moral equivalency argument. When I was a student of the Cold War, my field, as I've mentioned on many occasions, was communism. I studied Russian language. I went to communist countries a lot. It, it was normative at Columbia University where, where I was a student, graduate student in, in this area. For many people, many of the professors and many of the students to say, oh, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, 
Oh, they're just both superpowers. It wasn't good versus evil. It wasn't freedom versus tyranny. No, it was two superpowers. The left, and I don't mean liberals, as you know, the left and the uh, much of the Arab world and parts of the Muslim world, this this breakdown of good and evil into everybody's the same is uh, has to be fought or we're doomed. So when you hear, oh, all children are precious, that needs to be directed to one side, the side that doesn't believe it, Hamas and Hezbollah and their supporters. Do you know what they chanted the pro- that is the pro-Palestinian protesters in Sydney, Australia. You could see it on YouTube. Chanting in English, gas the Jews. F the Jews, they use the word F, the F word. And gas the Jews. A chant, gas the Jews. Is it conceivable that you would have a chant, gas the Palestinians? Gas the Muslims? Coming up from... Uh, from pro-Israel supporters? They are not moral equivalents. Another point. Did anybody during World War II make the point, America, we want you to know, Britain, we want you to know, Canada, we want you to know, Australia, we want you to know that Japanese children are as precious as Australian children, or Canadian children, or British children, or American children. Why didn't anybody make that argument then? Because they understood that wasn't the issue. Japanese children were not being targeted. That includes the atom bomb. They weren't targeting Japanese children. Tragically, because of the monstrous regime in Tokyo, which started the war, which tortured vast numbers of Chinese and Filipino and Koreans whom they conquered. The Japanese, like the Nazis, performed medical experiments on non-anesthetized people, in their case, Chinese and Filipinos. They would cut them open without an anesthetic. I checked this stuff out. And by the way, I've never been caught in in a misstatement in this way. I'm very, very careful. Just by the way, just for the record, I have not mentioned beheaded babies with regard to uh, to Hamas. I, 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 I need to see the picture. I've been told this by very serious people that I trust about beheaded babies. But until I see proof, I have not said it on the radio and I'm not saying it here. So when I when I tell you that the, the Japanese had special units of their army to uh, to cut open Chinese people like the Nazis did to Jews and, and to Russians in the, in, in the death camps, you can know that this is what took place. Every Japanese who died in the nuclear bombs or any of the other bombs, and more Japanese died from regular bombs than nuclear bombs in World War II, every single one, Their blood was on the hands of the Japanese regime, including the emperor. Had they not attacked uh, Pearl Harbor, had they not attacked Korea and China and the Philippines and other countries, 
there would never have been one bomb dropped on Japan or on Germany. The West didn't have to be told that German children are as precious as American or British children. German children who died, died because of Hitler and the Nazis, not because of the West. Moral clarity is everything. If there's one theme running through my 300 plus fireside chats, it's moral clarity. But people don't want to have moral clarity because it means confronting evil. And people don't want to do that. It's too painful or scary. Same here in, in the Middle East now. Every, every Palestinian child killed, the blood is on the hands of Hamas and Hezbollah. Had they not done what they did, there would never be a war. As I said 10 years ago in that video, if they laid down their arms, there would be peace in the Middle East. Then they say, oh, well, there, there's a war because Israel occupies territory. Israel occupies territory because if they didn't, this is what would happen. The proof is Gaza. Israel did occupy Gaza. And then they said, okay, we don't want to occupy you anymore. And now, and now they have the greatest number of Jews killed in a day since the Holocaust because they did abandon and let, and let, the, let Gaza alone. But people don't want to hear this stuff because of the moral confusion of so many people in the, uh, who go to un universities. Harvard got a black eye, 35 groups, was it, who said Israel is entirely responsible for what happened. That's right. Families all shot up dead, grandparents, parents, grandchildren, and Israel is responsible. How's that for a sick, sick crowd? So I thought you'd uh, want to know about that line about precious children should be directed to the people who don't think all children are precious, Hezbollah and Hamas. One other line that you hear about is the cycle of violence. Did anybody in World War II speak about the cycle of violence? Oh, well, Japan and the United States, they go back and forth. There's a cycle of violence. These are terms used so as not to blame the bad guy. When I was a kid, <laughs> I remember this so vividly. When I was a kid and two kids would get into a fight and then the, a teacher or a parent would come out and go, stop it, stop fighting. And then one of the kids will say, he started. And then the parent or the teacher would say, I don't care who started. And I remember, I think I was seven years old thinking, what do you mean you don't care who started? That's the only important question. <laughs> it drove me crazy when I heard that. I don't care who started. Would you say that if a policeman were shooting a, a, a guy shooting up children? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I don't care who started. Who started is a very important moral question. All right, let's uh, let's go to your uh, your questions. Whoa! Oh, 
Uh, you have no idea how I don't have any idea how that... Oh, I am so proud of myself. It's as if I had run a marathon. Well, that's ridiculously unrealistic. It's as if I had... Uh, I don't know what. Okay, here we go. Okay, good luck. Mr. Prager, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Salty Igod. I'm from Cypress, California. Just recently, there have been reports of the Biden administration agreeing to build 20 new miles aboard wall. However, as a conservative son of Latino immigrants, I think there's a nuanced discussion to be said about immigration. What legal reforms to the immigration system could you as a content creator promote while also maintaining strong positions on border security and against the drug trade, especially of fentanyl? All right, Santiago, thank you. Well, first of all, uh, building a wall is very important. Even beyond anything else, a country ceases to exist if it doesn't have borders. By definition, I mean, I I feel like I'm saying the obvious, because in fact, I am saying the obvious. (laughs) If you don't have a border, you don't have a, a country. If you don't have a border, you don't have a house. If anyone who wants to can come into your house, it's not your house. It's astonishing that such elementary points, and I'm not blaming you, you, you're not even saying this, but there are people who say that. No, No country in the history of the world has voluntarily allowed millions of, upon millions of people to enter without any process of bringing them in. So a wall is a very important thing. The truth is, I don't know if we need any new laws. The fact is the laws that we have are not being addressed. They're not being lived by. You cannot come in, and then you can come in. That's a law. And people are given uh, hearing dates for asylum. Uh, These are all new ideas to circumvent the law. They're They're given welfare. That's not part of the law either. E-Verify exists. That's not uh, emphasized. E-Verify is a system whereby an employer, a company, has to check that you are an American citizen before they uh, give you a job. But the companies uh, ignore that law. So we, I don't think we need new laws. We need to enforce what exists. Okay, I thank you. Okay, Arlene, Leighton, New Jersey. I've heard you negatively talk about Betty Friedan and the feminine mystique since it marked the beginning of what has become a terribly destructive feminist movement. I'm a conservative, but similar to you, I grew up in a liberal Democrat Jewish family in Teaneck, New Jersey in the 1950s. I gave the feminine mystique to my mother after her four children were grown and out of the house and encouraged her to get a job. It never occurred to my mother that she could work outside the home before reading that book. She got a job at the Zionist Organization of America in New York City and adored it. If she had not read The Feminine Mystique, my mother would have missed out on tremendous joy and satisfaction. Therefore, do you think that Betty Friedan positively affected women who wanted to go to work after their children were raised and that she should not be lumped in with the modern destructive feminist movement? Okay, so she should be lumped in with the modern destructive feminist movement. I read The Feminine Mystique. It was about as dark a book as I ever read. She portrays the life of a woman who has devoted her life to her family, to making a home, 
to being a, a wife and a mother as if the woman is in a prison camp. I actually think she uses that term uh, in, in her in her book that it, it, even maybe even concentration camp. I'm not I'm not certain. So don't don't I know it's very negative. Uh, by the way, Betty Friedan does come from I mean, this is not a conspiracy. It's just it's pretty well known. She comes from a very left wing background, even a neo Marxist or Marxist background. So the feminine mystique was part of her expression because the Marxist outlook is not pro-family. So her, her view is that that's a prison. It was a prison for women. By the way, this will blow your mind. I actually had a dialogue debate with Betty Friedan in my 20s. And it is even on video, black and white video. I have to get a hold of it. It would be precious. In the middle of the debate, she got up and walked off. She called me a male chauvinist piglet. And my only reaction was, why am I a piglet and not a pig? And I, I, I don't remember if I asked her that. Anyway, I continued talking as if nothing happened. I, she expected me to beg her to come back on stage. I did nothing of, of the sort. And then she came back on stage. And then we just continued like nothing happened. Uh, and, and and believe me, I'm, I'm respectful to people with whom I have uh, differences of opinion. So, but she, she, she was so unused, I guess, to, to debating uh, people who differed with her on some of these matters. But whatever the reason, it, it's, a, it's dark. The notion that your mother would not have had a job were it not for the book, The Feminine Mystique, it's very possible. But... It, the amount of damage the book did is much greater than the amount of good the book did. My mother never read The Feminine Mystique, and she worked every day of her life until she retired at old age. My mother had a full-time job. Uh, I did not come home to a mom who had cookies and, and milk waiting for me or anything like that. This is neither a complaint nor a boast. I just want you to know that I, uh, I, I know the life of a woman who worked full time and did not read the book. Uh, by the way, you would think that since I came from such a home, I would advocate it. I advocate that you do what you want. You're a woman. You're a grown woman. You do what you want. You want to do 50-50, do 50-50. You want to do 80-20, whichever direction, do 80-20. You want to be a full-time mom and and uh, and uh, homemaker, be a full-time mom. You want to be full-time job, be full-time job. You decide. All I know is that from when I was in college, the overwhelming impulse, the overwhelming direction given to young women was, don't waste your life staying at home making a family. That was the message. And that was a, it was a terrible message. It was the message of feminism that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. That was actually one of their famous sayings, which by the way is a very funny saying. It's just extremely wrong. A woman does need a man. Sorry, by the way, a man needs a woman. That is my belief. That No, it's not my belief. It is my certitude. A man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. That is the way the, uh, life is made. 
and they were told, not so, you are, you don't need a man. And not only that, you're very much like a man. You can have as mean, as much meaningless sex as men enjoy and men do enjoy meaningless sex. That's the way we're made. Sorry. It's bad news for us and it's bad news for women, but I believe in telling the truth even when it's painful. And in sexual matters, the amount of lying that goes on because people don't have the guts to tell the truth is very tragic. It doesn't help anybody. Male sexuality is much more like an animal than female sexuality is like an animal. That's the way it works. It's not anti-male. It's just truth. I love truth. Okay? That's the way it works. And, and the feminist movement announced to women, you can be just like men. You too can have sex without any commitment, without any emotion, and have a great time. Well, it didn't work out that way. Women did try it, and vast numbers of women are not happy about it. We have the most depressed, according to every survey, not conservative surveys, we have more depressed percentage of population, more depressed women, young women today, than since these things were measured in American history, largely because of feminism and the left, largely. They gave them all corrupting, foolish, self-destructive messages, starting with Betty Friedan. I don't like the woman. I don't like her book. Okay. So that your mom got a good job after she read the book does not negate my points. I'm glad your mom did. I'm not joking. I'm glad she got a meaningful job afterwards and, and had the greatest time of her life. And uh, all of these women who are thinking, oh, career, career, career. Maybe if a, the right man comes, maybe I'll get married. And then all of a sudden they're 45 years old and they don't have a husband, and they don't have a child, and they wonder, hmm, maybe this was not the right thing. Maybe the job isn't quite as alluring as I thought it would be, which is true for the vast majority of jobs. The vast majority of jobs are not exactly scintillating. You think housework, which is put down as the most boring possible work a, a, a human can engage in, you, th you think that is over time debilitating? Try a job you don't like going to. It, it's, it's amazing. You think most men revel in their daily job? They're thrilled to go to, to the company office? People do a lot of things because it's the right thing to do, not because it's always fun. But in the final analysis, if you've raised good children and you have a, a basically good marriage, you will be happier than if you have none of that but had a terrific career. And what happens when you retire from your career? At least when you retire from, from homemaking, because your kids have grown up and left, you may actually have kids and grandkids. When you retire from your career, there's no such thing as career, grand, grand careers. <laughs> you have nothing. You have nothing. You have thank you letters from your fellow salespeople. God, we live, we live in the age of uh, make-believe because people don't want to acknowledge male-female differences. They don't want to acknowledge what is important. And one of them is the family. 
And I say this to men too. I try to get men married as quickly as I try to get women married. Ask Nathan. He's living proof. I'm amazed he still shows up, actually. Okay, so she has a part two. I might as well take it. What is it about human nature that takes all kinds of movements that initially start out with the best of goals, like Betty Friedan and encouraging women to work after their children were in school or out of the house? I don't think she had the best goals, but that's a separate issue. And eventually morph into the extreme, either to the right or the left. It's a great question. You're a thinker because extremism is the human norm. That's why humans are not moderates. Religion starts with the greatest of intentions. And how many uh, extremist religionists have there been? Did, did, uh, did, did the Catholic Church not start with beautiful intentions? Did, the, did, uh, did Luther and the Protestant Reformation not start with beautiful intentions? And then they slaughtered each other. How did that happen? How do you slaughter a human being? They both even believed in the Bible. They both even believed in Christ. And they slaughtered each other. There is, the, the human condition is such that there is nothing so beautiful that people can't ruin it. <laughs> That's the way it is. I'm not a fan of the human species, in case this is news to any of you. I am a fan of all the good individuals who are, are out there, but they're usually outliers. The, the human species is not an impressive species. There are very impressive humans. Humans can screw up everything, and they have. Americans were given the most free, the most affirmative, one of the most wonderful countries, if not the most wonderful ever invented, and just in my lifetime have screwed it up. That's the way it works. That's why you got to fight for what's right and fight for what's good. The ideal is to, the greatest ideal is to produce good adults. Somebody has to raise children. Somebody has to make a home. You figure it out. I'm not going to even tell you which sex, but somebody does. Otherwise, people don't get married. They don't reproduce. Western civilization is not reproducing. People are not even having children. And this is all part of the secular revolution that we've had. Religious people have children a lot more than the secular. Well, the human condition. That's what we explore every fireside chat. Today was no exception. Thanks for being with me, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for watching this video. To keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.